and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, there's that word together again, and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of God. Lord, I believe that this is true. I've seen glimpses of this strange and unusual reality among people. And I see it in my future. I see it in our future. But Lord, for us to get there, for me to get there, I need a miracle. Lord, I am so prone to whining about what I don't have instead of joyously considering you who I do have and radically laying my life down for the joy and gladness that comes to live like this. Lord, I repent for living for lesser things, for being moved by worry of lesser things, for grinding my my days out day after day after day with so much less. Lord, I surrender all that I am. Lord, take the best efforts I've got and take the ugliest fears and worries and perversions that could come from my soul and my mind and my body. Take it all. And God, may you do an unusually strange work in us as you've done in the past. And may it multiply in Jesus' name. And may those who are without, maybe those who have had things flooded out, may they have a greater flood in Jesus' name springing forth from your people. A joy and an unusual gladness, I proclaim in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's give the worship team a, a thankful clap. As you're finding your seat, can you say to someone next to you, I want you to preach it real good now. I know you all can be a little bit more aggressive and energetic than the 9 a.m. service, can you not? Here we go. Ready? Three words. Life is relationship. Preach it a few times until you start getting really anointed. Life is relationship. Come on. Come on, somebody. Life is relationship. Boom. So that's getting anointed right there. We're going to go through, verse by verse, the scripture from Acts 2 that we just read, and we'll do that in a little bit, the unusual reality of radical relationship, and see our lives recalibrated, just galvanized with power about this whole life is relationship thing, this radical relationship that God does. Now, as a reminder, I just want to remind you why we're in this series. We are in a three-week series called Radical. 
Um, we're taking a three-week break from our Genesis series, and we'll finish as planned by the end of the year. Um, we borrowed all our other breaks from the rest of the year to have a three-week series. We're in week two. And you should know, especially if you missed last week, that this series was prompted. Uh, the timing of the series was prompted by a building opportunity that became available recently. Now, um, when I schedule out my life, I try to make things as easy, logical, comfortable as possible. But uh, often God brings upon opportunities that we've been praying for at only a time where he could perform it. And it's not comfortable for me. So uh, I can thank God in so many ways that I'm not God because uh, I would mess things up after about seven minutes. But he has chosen for us to have this building opportunity that we've been praying for available now, right after our name change, right in the middle of floods. And uh, so these next few weeks, we are praying that the building need would produce a greater thing in all of us, a radical thing that way beyond the $68,000 that we need for a down payment to pay for the building, to purchase the building we've been renting, that there would be greater purchases made in the Spirit beyond that. And so I just want to remind you, purchasing this building launches us into something greater, I believe. Imagine if we didn't have to wonder about where our Sunday services or our regular discipleship efforts would be, like equip and establish in the years to come. And instead, we were busying ourselves wondering, dreaming, powerfully prophesying into our future what God's going to do from here. We, we believe that the story in the last seven years, your story, my story, how God has radically touched your life and mine, is something that belongs to him, and it's something that's in his hands, and it's something that he's multiplying in our midst. And he wants to take us to a radical rootedness where we set our roots deep here so that we can bear greater fruit from here and see more stories develop, more of what we've already seen happen. And so we are hunkering down and pursuing the Lord with what he wants to do in us and seeing what he brings from it. And again, we are desiring and expecting for God to provide for us the impossible in, in the building and a down payment and stuff that I know years from now won't make me so nervous, but it's made me adequately nervous now. Because through this and beyond this, what he's going to do in us, the revival thing that happens is so much greater than uh, what I would accustomed to be comfortable with. Specifically, we have another impossible dream as it relates to radical relationship. You know, we want to dream the impossible dream. It was one of the old jazz guys that said that. Maybe Frank or... Anyway, we want to dream the impossible, specifically this. We want to see this stuff continue to happen here in our church. Strange and unusual things happening. I mean, come on. They were selling their possessions and day by day meeting. I mean, this is radical stuff. And you have to ask the question, what, what prompted this unusual behavior among God's people? Straight, I mean, when you, we are so accustomed to reading the Bible really fast 
But we need classes on how to read slowly. Because real human lives got so affected radically by the Lord Jesus that they started behaving like no one else in history has ever behaved. And we're going to talk about that today. Why did they behave this way? I think the key to answering the question, how did they have so much in common? So how did they have so much togetherness? How did radical relationship actually happen? I think the key to it was the first few words that we read here. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and prayers. Okay, key elements to church. But listen, the heart of it is this, the first three words. They devoted. And they devoted themselves. You know, I think the, uh, the secret of radical relationship is radical devotion. The secret to radical relationship is radical devotion. Unless you're first devoted to Jesus, to his teaching, to what he says to do in life and who he says you are, then all of the radical behavior modifications you attempt in your life will only plumb the depths of your own best effort instead of his. But when you're devoted to him, the power of that gets all up in your life. Now, for more on radical devotion, that was really my sermon last week. And uh, if you go back and listen to that on springstx.org, there's also some more information about the story of how uh, we came into this place of, uh, of need and, and uh, waiting on the Lord for this building and other things. But the point is this, is that if you're devoted to God, then you'll be devoted to the things of God. And when you're devoted to the things of God, you're devoted to the people of God because you're rewired for relationship. Now, remember what you preach to yourself. Life, anyone help? Life is relationship. Come on, good job. Life is relationship. Let me make another audacious statement that comes from that. Very exclusive and very true. So life is relationship. And the quality of your life is the quality of your relationship. Don't try to live your life in the counterpoint of that. I don't dare you to try to disprove that. You can accomplish all your dreams and yet waste your life and be depressed. The only reason I'm preaching pretty good right now is because I'm preaching to myself too. All your life is relationships. The quality of your life is the quality of your relationship. And if you have quality relationships, you have a good life, period. And if you don't, your life stinks, period. I don't care how many cars you own, how big your house is, whatever else you have, your life stinks. The quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. Now, here's the point. When Jesus brings you into relationship with himself, the mystery of the gospel. When when he loved you before you knew how to love or love him back or anything else, when he drew you to himself through his Holy Spirit and drew you into a relationship with himself, he reoriented who you are and now you're his. You're in his family. 
if that's your story. And now you're rewired to be in relationship to those who are also in his family. Your whole life is relationship. Your, your identity derives from the community that you're in now. Your whole life, your whole identity is being his. So when you're devoted to him, it changes everything. Radical relationship, and as we'll see next week, radical generosity. Being in the relationship you should be in and doing the things that you should do, they're all fruits of radical devotion to God. When we devote ourselves to him, and we continue doing so, we are in line to be in right relationship with others. That's the only way, and there is a way. So think about that. Think about, hey, how are my relationships going with others around me, okay? God wants to do a radical work in all of our relationships. It's by drawing us to himself. And I'm gonna, I want to illustrate this point. I'm going to ask Will to come up front because I need a, a Jesus in my illustration. And when I picture Jesus, I, I, I have to picture a brother with dreads. Just helps me because it's a lot more, it's a lot more biblically accurate than those bleachy skinned dudes they put on the movies. All right, uh, Browns. I'm gonna ask y'all to come up. So y'all can y'all can stand right here. So you can stand right here. Uh, so we have our Jesus, and Tessa and Thaddeus are a picture of your life. Okay, this is this is. You pursuing things in life. And so you're moving forward in life. Okay, you're moving forward towards Jesus. And man, you're on the journey in life. And Jesus, yeah, yeah, Jesus is calling you. There's power in the the hand. Okay, but stop. Somewhere along the way, you start to look in your periphery a little bit, right? Like, wow, who's this over here? Could she be my bae, right? (laughs) And you're looking over there. These are the exchanges that we have, the choice that we have every day. There's, there's a lot, life's a little bit more complicated than this, but it's still this simple. We make, we make everything else complicated, but life is about these key relationships, right? Jesus is calling you. Now, now close your eyes. You two, you, just you two. You, uh, he sees even if he closes his eyes, all right? <laughs> so here's what happens. Jesus is calling you to himself. Now, you start to notice each other. You're, you know, you think she's, she's looking pretty good. You think he's looking pretty good, and he is. Now, you guys want to make this thing happen and get together. So your, your route is, is halted for just a minute, and Thaddeus decides he's going to come after you. So go ahead and go after your bae, Thad. And you come over here, but now, guys, open your eyes. Here's the problem. He's going after her, she's going after him, and they don't meet. Now, come back. Here's, unfortunately, the usual pattern, is they get together, and they forget about this person over here. That's, unfortunately, all too common. But this is the way we do here. This is the gospel right here. Boom! In pursuit of Jesus... They bump into one another. Being rewired by Jesus, their whole life, their whole identity, and their relationships are rewired. The person that is mutually pursuing Jesus with them because of their pursuit of him, their wholeness in him, 
they find the ability to be in right relationship with one another. Radical relationship. Jesus is to be always, always our before anyone else person. All of us. Amen? Amen. Let's give them a hand. When we're pursuing him and we're devoting first our, our lives to Jesus, we're rewired. We're, we're put in line again to relate rightly to other people. Check this out. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now stop for a minute. Look around you at the beautiful people sitting around you. Would you say that pretty much everyone in the room, you have pretty much everything in common with? Now, I'll venture to say that on any given day, and unfortunately, especially on any given Sunday, you're not going to look around the room and see people that you technically have so little in common with. From a sociological standpoint, in some ways, there's no business, that we have no business being in the same room together. With All of us have so much differences, but listen, if we believe on the Lord Jesus and we're first devoted to him, then what we have in common is more radical and makes us more united than any other people in the history of the world. If we're first devoted to Jesus, then and only then are we in line to be in right relationship with other people. We really do have all things in common. When we have a common Savior who puts us in right relationship with a common Heavenly Father, we now have common family identity and therefore common mission. And we have radical relationship. That's what Jesus does when he draws us to himself. Verse 44 again, all who believed were together. When we're devoted to him, when we believe upon the Lord Jesus, then and only then are we together and we have all things in common. And then let's keep going here. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together. Okay, hold on. Imagine you're a good Jewish dad and your son with his young kids decides to sell all his possessions and distribute the proceeds to all. I mean, you'd be like, all right, dude, what's the deal? That's, that's the inheritance I left you. What are you doing? What are these people teaching? Tell me the name of this ministry. I got to Google them. What is going on? What did you, did you drink some punch? He'd be thinking, what's going on here? This is strange and unusual behavior. And yet, they had all things in common, and they were doing this joyfully. It says, day by day, attending the temple together. Day by day. Meaning like, every day. That's a lot. That's like more than old school Baptists that were like, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, maybe even a Friday night prayer meeting. I mean, that is a lot every day. What is going on with these people? Why were they acting so strange? I mean, I'll stop here for a second. Every culture you're in, God helps you to redeem that culture 
And I'm not saying that, okay, since they were kind of lived like communists, I think we should do all this too, right? Uh, and whatever it is, maybe, maybe it's not a day-by-day prayer meeting every day, but the thing is, is, can every moment where we are today, can we be radically devoted to God, to his word, to be in right relationship with one another? And no matter what culture you in, you are in, what culture you in? <laughs> Got a little country there. No matter where you are, it's going to be uncomfortable. No matter what you're accustomed to, if Jesus is radically drawing you to himself, then to be in right relationship with people and to be on common mission with others and his people, when you are made his, it's way more than you're comfortable with. It's way more than you're initially capable of signing up for. That's what Jesus does. So, if you were thinking, man, I got to sell all my possessions, uh, you know, um, I'm not saying you're off the hook. I'm just saying that's not technically, literally what, how we're supposed to apply it. You might not be off the hook. You might have to sell all your possessions if that's what Jesus is calling you to do. And uh, so, you know, depending on who you are, that might not be so impressive. So, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, They receive food with glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Day by day those who are being saved. Now, in essence, this is the dream and vision of our church. I mean, we say it a lot, and hopefully we'll continue to say it a lot because we see it a lot. That we grow in being followers of Christ, family-focused, and fishers for men. That's our vision statement. That's what we say, and that's what we see. And that's what we see more and more of. And that's what we're radically devoted to seeing God dig a deeper root in and bear greater fruit in. We grow in our relationship with God. As followers of Christ, look at this. We're devoted to the Lord. And when he brings us into relationship with himself, we have all things in common to family. We are radically rewired to be family focused. And we, we have a new capability and anointing and power to see those who are being brought into the family day by day. We're fishers of men. We are radically rewired by God for relationship. Life takes on a whole new flavor because life is all about relationship. Oh, I'll just go ahead and confess. I often get anxious about verse 47 and not as much trusting in verse 42. And how much is that like we always do, most of us struggle with? It's like, man, I fail to distinguish what I'm supposed to devote before the Lord and what I'm supposed to trust him to provide in his role. I'm supposed to, verse 42, devote myself. And then the fruit that he brings from that is that he adds, it says the Lord added to their number 
day by day. And so often I can get anxious, like, man, I'm supposed to do this. I planned all these things. I did this, this, and that. I sent an email. I even sent a text about the email, and we're doing all these things. And God, what's going on? I'm trying to add people to the church day by day. This is what happens in my heart. I have a pretty annoying heart sometimes. And God tells me, Peter, that's my job. Ultimately, you're supposed to devote yourself to me and enjoy with a glad and generous heart the blessings I give in that environment. You know, this really has been hitting home for me recently. I, you know, have, I have been a little anxious, to be quite honest, just about trying to do good at stuff. Um, I want to I be honoring God and doing my job well and serving our church well. And I want to I be fruitful. And sometimes I, I can get a little bit anxious about things. Um, like we said last week, Mary, Martha was anxious about many things. And uh, that's, that's me all too often. In February, I get to, uh, I'm looking forward in this moment. I'm, just, I'm a little tired right now and I'm, I'm looking forward in February, I get to bring my third daughter back to Oregon. And I've done this with my two oldest kids when they're about two, they're about uh, Alma's age. And uh, I get to go back and just help, you know, walk her through, you know, the memory. And it kind of helps me too. Um, what I'll do, last time when I took Asa, uh, he was almost two. And I took him back and I was just like, man, Asa, check out these mountains. Like, they're so beautiful. And Asa says, huge. Huge. That was before he could say huge. He still can't quite say huge. We're working on that because it's a consonant and a weird diphthong of a vowel. But huge. He can't say that, but he's like, huge. It's funny too because no, okay, kind of a, an appropriate offense, not no offense, but an appropriate offense, if you're from Texas and you think that the only thing that's beautiful is contained in Texas, let me just tell you for a minute. Let me burst your bubble. The things that you call mountains aren't quite mountains. <laughs> Texas is beautiful, but for something so much more radical than that, okay? I go up to Oregon. I show my kids, that, hey, this is where I drove to school, and I could see this, and, and, and I would show them everything. And to be quite honest, when I go there, anytime I go home, I have this ache in my stomach. Like, this is what I left behind. I could be looking at these mountains all the time. This is so beautiful. And I have this ache in my stomach sometimes. Then I take my kids to my high school. And uh, maybe next time I should probably go to the visitor's office and get a visitor stamp because I'm so old now that people don't recognize me and they're kind of freaked out like I'm walking everywhere and a little too excited to be visiting my old high school. <laughs> but when I went to that high school... I remember the perverse things I was pursuing. And I went to the high school looking for one thing, but Jesus sent others looking for something else as they pursued me in relationship. And invariably, I'll take my kid by room C13, Mr. Shuknik's math classroom, where I was invited incessantly by students to come to this Bible study and I come to that Bible study, and, 
It was when I was brought into right relationship with Jesus in Mr. Shuknik's math classroom, room C13. And I took my, when I took Asa back there and I showed him and I said, this is where I was sitting when I gave my life to Jesus. And your mommy was sitting over there. And last time I took him there, he had no idea what I was doing. And I'm just sitting here weeping. And the teacher there who was on in-service block at that time had no idea who I was, but I'm sitting here weeping in her classroom. She has no idea what to do. And I, I of course, was going to make sense of this whole thing, right? And I tried to explain to her, like, okay, here's what happened. Here's what happened. I was fully expecting to baptize her at that moment. Like, <laughs> you're going to get this. This is going to click right away. And it, instead, I just kind of freaked her out. And I took Asa outside, and I showed him. I said, between C and D block, this is where we used to pray. I would hold hands with your mommy, and sometimes we'd do the interlocking finger thing. And, uh, and we'd pray, and we'd ask Jesus to touch other people. And three guys on my baseball team came to know the Lord that year. And this happened, and that happened, and then we couldn't even meet in room C13 anymore. We had to meet in the auditorium. And I would share with them. And I realized when I was leaving my high school that the ache in my stomach was gone. Because now that I live in Texas, and now that I get blessed to be here, and I'm leaving Oregon, and I'm coming back here from there, every time I remember, the Lord helps me to see that the greatest things from Oregon I have here with me, my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with my wife. And when I'm leaving Oregon, as beautiful as the mountains are, I never see what I'm looking at right now. And you know what? You might not understand what it's like for me to look at your beautiful faces right now and see the diversity and see individual stories that I'm aware of and how Jesus has brought his life into people. But it's something I would never have gotten to experience there. I'm at home in my relationships that God has granted me. Now, I need to entrust to him because I, I sure do want to serve you better. And I want to get better at what I do. But listen, I'm not at home in what I do or where I am. I'm at home in being in relationship with Jesus, with my family, and with you. And I don't know where you are. Some of us in here, you might be anxious about many things like I tend to be anxious about. And maybe you're, you're trying to find uh, your own centeredness in your life. And you know what? Jesus is speaking to you right now. You know who you are? You're not a future this, a future that, a future mom, a future dad, a future doctor, a future lawyer. You are now, right now, you're mine. And I want you to see and savor me. That's what the Lord says. I want you to be at peace with being mine, and I'm going to walk you through the things you're supposed to do. Church, for the second time this year, we had a historical flood. And there are people who need all sorts of different things. And in the coming weeks, especially in our growth groups, we're going to talk about specific ways that we're going to meet specific needs as we continue to do inventory of the needs in the city. But let me tell you right now, the thing that people need most is for you to be in solid, rooted 
radical relationship with Jesus and with others. And you know exactly what will have to change for that to be your reality. And maybe you've tried. But maybe today is a day where it's different than trying. Maybe today is a day where it's surrendering and saying, Jesus, I give in to a radical relationship with you and with others. Practically, look, it's growth groups. It's going to meetings with people, but it's the relationships that spring forth from that. It's glad hearts. It's maybe selling a certain piece of your week that you see as yours and trading it for something else. Maybe it will mean specific things and needs you're meeting. Day by day, attending to the needs of people you're in relationship with. It's something that I can't get you to do. And God didn't call me to. But something that you respond to him with. I'm going to ask the guys in the back to pass out something to you. This is a pledge card for our whole series where we're simply asking you to hear God. What is your role and what you're supposed to do about all these things that God's calling us to? As you read these, in the coming weeks, we're actually going to have these turned in in two weeks. We just wanted you to have them in your hands so that you have some time to bring this before the Lord and pray. But I'm asking you, please don't think that this is me asking you to give of your time or your money or your devotion to the church or to me. Because if it comes down to that and that's all that it is, then it's, that, that's wasted. But if the Lord's calling you to say, hey, I want this, then you respond. In the coming weeks, you're going to hear the Lord speak to you about maybe a challenge that he has for you to get into his word, to get up maybe ridiculously 0.30 in the morning and read the Bible. And we're going to ask you to mark some things on there. Maybe, maybe you're supposed to start a growth group, but it's not me telling you. And it's not me saying you should give this much. You know, God is going to provide the fruit of what we need. I'm just asking God, it's your church. Can you do something radical in me and in the church? And I trust that as you ask, you'll hear from him. So that's why I wanted to have that in your hands in the coming weeks. Now you can put that down and I want, I want you to stand to your feet with me, please. I think the best way to end this service, we're talking about radical relationship, but what brings us together? I remember my, my great aunt, she was a Serbian lady, and she always used to have this quote, like this Serbian pride quote, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it means essentially, blood is thicker than water. And when I became a Christian, I always rejected that and said, you know, there's something more fundamental than nationality, than race. There's something more fundamental than blood that draws us together. And I've only just recently realized, maybe she's just right and she doesn't know what she means when she says that. Because you know what? Blood does draw us together. The blood of a Jewish man 
who 2,000 years ago lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died, and on the third day rose again from the dead so that he could draw us to himself and draw us into right relationship with each other. And just like for me to handle my anxieties and all the stuff that I'm doing today, the best thing for me is to go back sometimes to Oregon and to remember where God met me and the treasure that I have that should be cherished now. The best religious thing that we can do is to remember what Jesus has already done. The gospel is what Jesus did. And so we remember. On the night he was betrayed, before he even went to the cross, he coached us on how to remember. He said, he lifted up the Passover bread and he said, this is my body given for you. This dude knew what he was about to give the next day. He said, this is my body given for you. As, As long as you come together, remember this. It's broken for you. And then he took the the Passover wine and he said, this is the cup of the covenant, the new and everlasting covenant, the blood shed for you, for your sins and for the sins of all. Now listen, as we remember his blood, his body laid down for us, we are being a blessing to others who he shed his blood for. And my prayer is that when we come back to him and take communion together, we'll be radically rewired to be in relationship with other people. And my trust is that day by day, the Lord will add to our number. We'll see more of the stories that we've already gotten to see.